Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute Podcast. Today, we welcome Pat Mulhern, CEO of DMA, and we'll be taking a closer look at how the food service distribution industry stepped up in 2020 to help keep Americans fed during a pandemic. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. Really helps us to expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. And I should note, we're also available on Spotify and iTunes now, so take a look for us there and subscribe if you haven't done so already. So with all that said, I'll introduce Pat and ask him how he's doing today. So how are you, Pat? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks uh, Thanks for asking me to be a part of this. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And before we jump into today's conversation, I think it would help our listeners to get a little bit of a background about yourself and DMA. So could you share that with us? Yeah, happy to. Happy to. Let's start with DMA. DMA is the moniker for Distribution Market Advantage. It's a uh, 33-year-old company based in Chicago. Uh, essentially owned by most of the larger regional distributors in food service across the country. So we would uh, consider ourselves to be one of three uh, consortium slash uh, companies who can manage national chain uh, supply chain business for national chain restaurants. So, um, uh, you know, you'd know us from some of our brands that we service, uh, most of the fast casual brands in the industry, uh, many of the casual dine brands in the industry, and a few of the quick service restaurants. And um, we're really proud to do that and, and good at that. But my, my own personal uh, experience in food service goes back uh, almost 30 years, uh, starting in uh, the chain restaurant side. I worked for a chain restaurant called Bill Knapp's Restaurants, Battle Creek, Michigan about 80 restaurants and I headed up purchasing there early in my career and then moved over to craft food service and on through what was Alliant Food Service and spent a few years at U.S. Food Service and uh, in between that was part of uh, the Vistar Corporation which is now part of Performance Food Group. I took over as CEO of DMA about four years ago and uh, happy to say um, even in the, uh, the waning days here, hopefully the waning days of the pandemic, the uh, company's doing quite well. So I think that puts us in a perfect headspace to talk about those challenges in 2020. And as we noted, you know, 2020 was a rough year for food service operations and by extension, food service distributors. So I was wondering if you give us a little color on pivots made by DMA and your members to kind of address the new realities of life under lockdown. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, again, hopefully we're uh, towards the uh, second half of the ball game here in the pandemic, as you brought up, Chris. Um, I think there's been, you know, significant pivots and Almost um, re-engineering of businesses, um, as you know, in my 30 years, obviously, as everyone says, you know, never have we seen anything like this before. So, I think probably starting at the top is the consumer, and um, over 30 years, the consumer has spent more than 50 cents on their dollar at restaurants. So, restaurants, you know, from 19, so let's call it 1975 till 2000, even. 45, 50 years up till, you know, 2021, the, the consumer of the restaurant um, looks at it as uh, much different than they did years ago when restaurant eating was a night out or two nights out uh, a week, you go out with your spouse or your partner and, you know, enjoy a meal and it's entertainment. I think it's become part of the fabric of how Americans eat. So I think what's happened in the pandemic is every, um, restaurant in the country has had to pivot to figure out even how to, you know, accelerate uh, an already um, developing trend of food away from home to become survival. So for a restaurant pivot and to the consumers, getting that product to the consumer where the consumer's at. Well, where the consumer's at is home right now, especially in the north northern half of the country where there is no outdoor dining 
and uh, you know you can't sit at a park bench and eat a meal. So I think um, you know finding ways to get food to the consumer at home has been um, it's been a necessity for restaurants uh, to meet the consumer need and also to keep themselves in business. So tremendous pivot to that. Um, we can talk about some of the nuances underneath the menu itself and what kind of food travels and who's bringing the food to the consumers at the restaurant or is it, uh, you know, third party delivery services. But I, I'll answer your question about the pivot for distributors. Um, distributors, you know, have always known that restaurants are their lifeblood. We don't exist without restaurants, hotels, golf courses, uh, healthcare facilities who service food, schools. So, um, you know, it's never been more obvious to a distributor now that without a customer base, you don't have a business. So I think distributors have really had to essentially um, try to keep their workforces healthy and employed, really probably take a fair amount of margin out of their business and preserve cash flow because we, we are confident in distribution that this business will uh, persevere. You know, it's restaurant business is going to come back. It'll come back probably really robust, but different by sector. I want to temper that by saying not all sectors are going to come roaring back. But um, the pivots the distributors made have really been around, you know, um, keeping inventory in stock, making sure that uh, you get PPs and packaging and the things that have become most important for restaurants. Um while helping restaurants skinny down their menus, skinny down their hours of operation, keep their workers safe. So, you know, the pivots are, they're still going on. And, you know, I think the consumer is changing their behavior and the distributor follows the uh, restaurant operator who's in the middle. So I think the difference between going into the pandemic and coming out of it is overnight, we saw the pandemic kind of shut down restaurants pretty quickly and pretty efficiently, right? So across the nation, people weren't able to go out to their favorite restaurant. But the paradox there is on the other side, as we reopen, it seems to be going a little bit slower. So as you said there, you know, food service distribute, uh, food service distribution companies and just food service companies in general are slowly pivoting and continue to pivot. So I'm wondering what other changes do you think food service distributors could make to kind of better serve their clients going forward? What kind of key learnings did you take from the pandemic and, you know, how can you apply that as we start reopening and even into the post-pandemic era? Well, I think I think flexibility, number one, is is key. So, you know, a whole bunch of ingrained habits around how we manage our credit, how we manage our inventory, how we manage our, uh, our order entry systems that have been built over years and years and years and years. They all became somewhat, you know, um, in question uh, due to the pandemic. As you said, the shutdown happened so fast, uh, you know, uh, one year into this pandemic. But I remember one year ago, as like it was yesterday, and I'm sure all restaurant operators and contributors do, um, it happened very fast and we were not prepared, obviously, for it. And so um, I think what's happened now is we've learned every Monday, every Friday to assess where we're at on Friday, where we started out Monday with regards to helping our customers. So um, what that, you know, more specifically to your question, I think things like the supply chain itself, you know, where, where, do the, where, do pro, where are proteins coming from and how are um, plants operating in terms of functionality, you know, in the protein complex. Or if you look at the grocery products complex, in a lot of cases, those are um, uh, most of the grocery producers who sell food service distributors and operators 
they also have retail businesses which are doing relatively well for them. So, you know, we've got pivots in the supply chain where some manufacturers are making more retail products in their plants than they were a year ago or a week ago or a month ago. So I'm um, having to react to that supply chain. Then you take international stuff, you know, uh, things we import. And quite frankly, if you boil down the PPE uh, components of what restaurants need to stay safe, what distributors need to stay safe and keep their workers safe. Many of those products are imported. So, you know, not only do you have the, uh, the interruption of the flow of goods, you also have, you know, worker safety in other countries where you're producing products. You've got, you know, uh, slowdowns at our borders. You've got costs and, and, and you know, a bit of inflation creeping in. So I, I think, um thinking you know you can't think six or 12 months ahead anymore you have to think you know three weeks ahead or two weeks ahead so i definitely definitely there's more urgency about the business day to day and um you know i say that and the other is the other big change i'd say we've learned is how strong the restaurant industry is so you know if we'd have looked at this pandemic and said you know how many restaurants will close if there is a pandemic <laughs> And um, what's the consumer going to do about eating food when restaurant dining rooms are closed and, you know, half to two thirds of the country? Uh, I think we all would have said that it's catastrophic. Well, while it has been, you know, really, really, you know, tremendous, you know, step down for the restaurant industry, the restaurant industry has really been resilient through this. The fact that some brands and some restaurants are actually selling more than they sold before the pandemic is a tribute to two things. One, the consumer wants to eat out and two restaurants are able to pivot quickly. And, uh, you know, we as distributors have to be right there with the restaurant doing that. So you brought up some of the pain points of 2020 right there. And I think that was also felt on a personal level by many Americans, uh, you know, specifically with the coronavirus related deaths, but also job losses. You know, it wasn't a very easy uh, year for the world. And I was just wondering what efforts did DMA and its members engage in to try to help American citizens during this really trying time? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think um, I'll speak to our members. So, you know, just to make it a little uh, easier to understand, if you think about a uh, Gordon Food Service or a Benny Keith uh, um, distribution company based in Texas and, you know, all over the South and Southwest. You think about Nicholas and company or Shamrock Foods who cover most of all of the West. Each and every one of those companies who are members of DMA have had regional, you know, um, stoppages, regional and, and, and state and local, uh, you know, uh, pandemic governing uh, regulations to navigate around and through. And, I would say that, uh, you know, without fail, those distributors have become, you know, more a part of their operator's business. So, um, you know, in a lot of cases, our sales forces are still seeing those customers face to face. So and when they're doing that, a lot of times it's um, helping respond to that day's need for that customer, you know, personally. So instead of, um, you know, sending out emergency supplies the next day or, um, you know, getting something to somebody who needs to keep their restaurant open, you know, overnight, they're actually doing it the same day. So I think we've, we've become, you know, much more a resource of the restaurant, you know, and, and I want to say the hotel and the school and the, and the you know, and, and the nursing home, the facilities we service, food service, we've become, you know, much more a part of 
you know, their business in a, in a, in a real way, kind of almost old school, the way things were done in the <laughs> probably 50s, 60s, and 70s. We've had to return to a lot of that basic route to support our customers. Um, definitely, we've been, you know, in, especially early on in the pandemic, very mindful of cash flow, and we still are for our restaurant operators. Most restaurant operators, have, you know, we extend credit to. Most everyone knows that distributors extend credit to their customers, and I think we've probably been, been as lenient as we can be. And when I say that, you know, distributors are also on you know, very tight credit terms with their suppliers too. So it's a, you know, transferring the cash flow uh, needs up and down the channel is very difficult when everybody's suffering in a pandemic. But I would say that, you know, our members have been, you know, they're local to their communities and, you know, they've been as, as, um, as good as they can be about that. And that's not easy to do. I think we are, um, you know, in terms of inventory, just hustling to get inventory as our operators' menus change. So, you know, when a restaurant that was doing 10% of its business takeout is now doing 65% of their business takeout or 75% of their business takeout, and, you know, it requires uh, that much more packaging. And those are inventories that we certainly would not have carried in our warehouses pre-pandemic. So, you know, making those adjustments. Um, Probably we've offered up a lot of food and related supplies uh, to our existing customers in a, you know, in a discounted fashion. You know, early on in the pandemic, we had too much inventory and not enough business. So I think most every one of our distributors tried to, um, you know, make sure that food didn't go bad, food didn't get spoiled. And, you know, it started with helping customers who would, you know, be open to buying a different menu item. And I will say that each and every one of our distributors has been terrific about supporting their local communities you know, through shelters or soup kitchens, pantries, food banks. Um, every one of our distributors has done a terrific job in, in support of that. So did any DMA members participate in the Farmers to Families Food Box program? Talking about these, uh, you know, efforts to help out the local community. I'm wondering if they had any of the government interaction there with that program. And if so, could you give a little uh, color about that? Yeah, yeah, quite familiar with that program. Um, we have 15 distributors in the DMA network, and uh, and I'm not entirely sure, but I want to say three or four of them participated in the Farmers to Food Box program. You know, that was a terrific program, where, you know, incenting, you know, growers to get product to market very quickly and to be paid by the government to do that and that in turn that food ended up in the in the um you know to ended up feeding people in need and uh, making sure that you know um those experiencing food insecurity during the pandemic were getting access to you know healthy fruits and vegetables so um it was uh i wouldn't say it was um Certainly, it helped us keep some employees employed in our distribution businesses early on, the three or four of them that took advantage of it. So, you know, where our businesses had to get resized to meet, you know, a smaller um, uh, restaurant, uh, hotel, hospitality, school industry, um, we were able to, in a couple of places, do that. And it was great for keeping our workforce on board and also helping the community. So, um I, I would say, too, you know, anytime those kind of programs, emergency programs come to bear, uh, you have to be able to react very quickly. It can be disruptive to your business. If you can imagine, you know, truckloads of produce going through a building that are perishable that otherwise wouldn't have or never have in the past. I think um, you have to be situated, you know, to handle that. I think the government probably learned a lot from it. Feeding America was in the middle of it. Our distributors were in the middle of it. And I think as 
you know, there are these needs in the future to, to keep folks fed who are insecure in food. Um, we'll have learned a lot from this. So um, I think it was a terrific program. I think, you know, it's one example where the government uh, stepped in to help and was pretty darn efficient through the USDA and getting this program out to market quickly without a lot of, you know, normal um, bureaucracy, I'd say. And I think that we all hope that this is going to be the last pandemic we see, but you know there might be one on the on the horizon. And in the past, we've seen with natural disasters and other events, you know, we could require a significant portion of our population to stay at home for a little bit. So, in looking at that program, you know, what could be done to kind of improve that private public alliance in the case of emergency again? Oh gosh, it's a it's a really good question. Um... You know, I think uh, Feeding America is the umbrella organization that uh, exists in the U.S. to um, help food banks, you know, in, in 200 plus communities around the country um, respond to what you're talking about, whether it's earthquakes, hurricanes, fires, floods, tornadoes, um, pandemics, I guess, would be, you know, the one that got added to the back end of all the things that Feeding America does so well. You know, the trick is, you know, we, we've never faced anything like this before. Um, I think private and public, it, it, it's intriguing to think about what that combination can do in food and food rescue. Um, I think probably since, uh, you know, hunger is um, all time high across the country, um, you know, people are really struggling and we're nowhere near the end of that. People are struggling to eat going into the pandemic. And now with the pandemic, it's just accelerated the need to get, you know, communities of need taken better care of. Um, you know, I, I believe Feeding America could have a leading role in this. I believe distributors could have a leading role in it. Um, you know, I, one of the things that, that, that distributors have always done well is responded to a crisis. Um, we always, we, first of all, we have the infrastructure to do it. We have the coolers, the freezers, uh, the trucks, the people were generally located within, you know, with our 58 locations at DMA, we can get anywhere in the USA in a very short period of time. So, so the infrastructure is there to do it. I think the desire is there to do it. I, you know, I think it takes continuity of planning, you know, post pandemic, to, you know, get after what you're talking about, Chris, I, I do think it's, you know, there there should be uh, better thinking around these types of emergencies because they they you know like you said hopefully not another pandemic but we we know we know we'll deal with disasters in this country two three four five times a year in different geographies and having a standard private public response and possibly the government backstopping the public a bit and the private companies and I I know I can almost speak on behalf of our our, our network, we'd be we'd be honored, privileged, uh, proud to do that. Um, you know, it's hard to plan for the unknown, but I do think you know disaster recovery is something distributors do in their normal course of business, and we just haven't done it on a scale like this before. And to shift gears gears a little bit, you know, the pandemic year really changed some eating habits in the United States. One of the things I've picked up on the Food Institute podcast over the last 12 months is there's this new consumer demand for healthier eating. And I know that doesn't always go hand in hand with going out to eat at a restaurant, but I was wondering, have DMA partners shifted to offer healthier fare to restaurant partners? Have they seen this uptick uh, in ordering on their side? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably, again, say pre-pandemic, that was... Um 
not just a trend, it was a movement. You know, I, I think if you cut across it, you know, um, from an age, age and, and demographic standpoint, um, you know, those that are uh, age, uh, you know, zero to 35 are eating different than and have been than their parents or their grandparents. So I, I do think healthier eating, you know, I, I will never call healthier eating a trend. I think it's, um, you know, it's um, healthier eating is a way of life and it's, um, it's, it's definitely going to continue. I actually would say during the pandemic, and I'm not speaking for the grocery side of the business, but definitely for the food service side of the business, I think healthy readings kind of slowed up a bit. Um, I think there's been uh, just a noticeable difference. And I just look at our own business and know where we're shipping groceries and what groceries we're shipping to which restaurants. And I would say comfort eating has become, you know, uh, more there's been a return to family meals, comfort eating, you know, uh, quick service restaurants who are well suited with drive-throughs and digital apps and delivery and, you know, um, and curbside. I think it, you know, those types of menus that travel well aren't necessarily the healthiest, uh, um, you know, offerings. So I think, you know, there's it, definitely the return of the continued uh, American diet getting to healthier foods, fresher foods you know, uh, lesser um, ingredients, a cleaner ingredient stack and, you know, lesser processed foods. That is here to stay, not going away. Um, I think of it this way, pre-pandemic, maybe, you know, 15, 20% of what a food service distributor uh, would sell would be quote unquote healthy. Um, I think that 15, 20% is heading to 30, 40%. Uh, I think temporarily there's been a little bit of a almost call the backslide but just easier to prep more comfortable foods bigger uh not bigger portions but family style portions have helped restaurants you know to keep themselves uh economically uh, able to survive the pandemic while giving consumers good value so um and I, I, you certainly can get healthier foods when you order out but it's more difficult um you know uh right now than it has been well, I guess there's a mental health component there too. And sometimes comfort foods can help that aspect out. So that makes sense to me. Um, but even just looking at that, you know, we've seen reports here at the Food Institute that indicates Americans are now more adept at cooking their own meals at home, which you would make sense considering the lockdown efforts that have taken place across the country. People didn't really have much of a choice and they've had plenty of time to practice. But I do think that human nature dictates social interaction and it's something that we require. So with these two things in mind, what do you think is going to happen with the U.S. food sector, uh, food service sector, when the pandemic ends? Do you expect dining out to return to exceed or lag pre-pandemic levels? And if you could, maybe explain why you think that. I think um, food away from home is going to come roaring back. Um, and I put a period after that and then back up a little bit. Um, roaring back doesn't mean that 250-seat restaurants, bars, and grills are going to be filled to capacity, you know, on the day that we feel that, uh, you know, vaccines have, uh, you know, we've totally out outlasted this pandemic and moved on. I do think um, restaurants right now are innovating. You don't see it because they're not open in a lot of cases, but restaurants are innovating. Um, I think you're going to see a tremendous curiosity in the consumer about what restaurants do on the other end of the pandemic. When I say that, I mean, where will they be located? What will they look like? You know, are they going to have windows on three sides and you're going to have a walk-up window, a drive-through window? Are they going to have picnic areas? Are they going to, instead of dining rooms? Um, I just think you're going to see um, 
a recreation of the restaurant business that is going to be exciting and um, inefficient, to be honest with you. Um, you know, my guess is for the next, you know, uh, foreseeable future, next 12 to 18 months, you're going to see a lot of outdoor dining and outdoor dining will probably go from, you know, patios and street you know, side dining outside of a restaurant to you pick something up and head for the park or you go to the beach or the use of public land and um, combined with um, restaurant food is going to be a big deal. And obviously retail can participate in that as well. But I think certain foods have, have tethered, um, you know, uh, health, uh, restaurants to decent health through this, right? Like uh, to, to go chicken for sure. Uh, to go bowls of any sort, any sort of bowl, whether it's, you know, starting with a, uh, you know, a traditional, you know, kind of Mexican bowl or whether it's, you know, healthier bowls or protein bowls. I think those, that those foods have, have done really well. Um, you know, certainly I would say, uh, you know, burgers have done well, always do well. But, I, you know, I think burgers, because they are easier to deliver through drive throughs and um, there's so many choices and, you know, many quality choices they've done well. I, I, I think on the other side of this, you know, your point about people know how to cook and like to be in their kitchen. I think that's true to a point and has been for years and years and years. Um, I, I, I actually think people are fatigued from cooking, fatigued from cleaning, fatigued from eating the same foods at home. They're missing what, you know, kitchens, professional chefs, uh, um, you know, restaurants can do to add flavors and change stuff up. I think, you know, the availability of fresh ingredients and obviously in a restaurant is, is so, um, so terrific that, you know, I think people are missing that. So, and the other thing I'd say, Chris, is for years, um, I believe it's Technomic has charted, you know, sales, food sales at home versus food sales away from home. And dating back to probably, say, 1980 or so, uh, maybe even in the late 80s, early 90s, the retail business captured 50 cents of a dollar, you know, 50, 55, um, at one point in time, almost 60 cents on a dollar uh, for a consumer. And the other 40 to 50 cents went to food service. And that flipped around to where food service actually going into the pandemic was uh, would capture more of a consumer's dollar than the grocery store. So what's happened in the pandemic is the grocery store has gained all that share back. And I do think restaurants, you know, just do their, you know, resiliency, their competitiveness, their flexibility, the great innovation that happens with restaurants. Um, you're going to see restaurants come roaring back. Now, I want to say, you know, bars and grills are going to have a tougher time. Um, big events in hotels and, in, you know, are going to have a tough time. Um Probably big casual dine, and I'm talking about 200, 250, 300 seat restaurants probably have a tougher time coming back. But I do think fast casual will roar back. Um, fast casual, think about you know Chipotle, Panera, Noodles and Company, um, those types of brands. Uh, you know Potbelly. I think those types of brands are going to do terrific post pandemic when people can go out because you're able to get in, dart in, get a meal, get out and go eat it, you know, somewhere you feel safe. So I do think the first 12 months will be a lot around fast casual. The next 12 months will be around innovation, new stores, exciting, you know, uh, ways to get your food. And, uh, um, you know, I'm excited. I'm very excited about the industry. I think most people inside the restaurant industry and, and inside of food service distribution share, share the excitement. We're just uh, getting impatient, you know. <laughs> 
I would have to agree. I'm very much looking forward to the time I can go out and enjoy, you know, a meal with the family at a restaurant and feel safe. And, you know, I think you're right on the money there that fast casual, you know, fast food didn't really seem to have much of a dip during this, but I think it'll be a slow rollout and, you know, people will start to get more comfortable in larger spaces and larger settings with more people as time goes on. Uh, You know, in talking to you here, you know, you said that the prospects of food service distribution are directly linked to food service operators. And hearing, you know, what you've said about what you think is going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months, I have a pretty good idea of where you're going to go with this. But I just want to know, what do you think the prospects are for the food service distribution industry in 2021? Um, I, I, you know, I think the next, uh, you know, it's uh, early February. I think the next four to six months are going to be a bit of a struggle um, for our operators and for distributors. Um I do, we are getting healthier. I mean, slowly, a little bit each week. And when I say healthier, you know, our sales are, our our customer sales are returning. Therefore, ours are returning, you know, a point or two percentage a week. So that allows us to bring back more workers. So I do think, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, and I speak for the distribution industry. I think we're going to be just fine. Um, You know, I, 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 I think, um, channel wise we believe in the channel i I think uh you know food service distributors early in the pandemic did a lot of work with retailers and other channels and you know i think that was helpful helpful for distributors to burn off inventory helpful for retail operators and others to you know buy good high quality groceries that were very saleable you know and 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 move it through the channel. I think that was good for everybody. But I do see that, you know, food service distributors, they may broaden the way they take product or offer products to restaurants, but I don't think it's going to be um, as much uh, uh, omnichannel as maybe at one point in time they thought, you know, or that distributors thought, or, or, or maybe consultants would have said, you know, distributors and retail distributors are going to be one and the same. I don't, I don't really see that. I think food service distributors are, are very specialized in what they do. They work different hours. They have different technology, um, you know, different product mix, different, you know, uh, case and cube. There's a lot of nuances to the business, but I, I would say all in all, I think most owners, at least in our network of independent distributors believe in the model they're in and have no, no uh, reservations that, that things will get better. It's, um, you know, I think as you ask about 2021, it'll be a little tougher here the next four to six months to, um, you know, we're going to gain a little bit of ground, but we're, we're really dependent on, you know, uh, the, the consumer of, of away from home foods being comfortable going out to get food in a, in a food service establishment. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, most distributors were able to right size their expenses you know, really between, I would say, March of last year and probably September of last year. So, you know, that six-month period, everybody in the distribution world sized themselves to survive and uh, support their customers. And, and, you know, now we're all anxious to participate in the recovery. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank Pat for his time today. And Pat, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your organization? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, www.dmadelivers.com. Great place to find us. Uh, uh, same, uh, you'll find us on LinkedIn as well. And, uh, um, you know, I would say to you, Chris, tell your listeners, keep eating out. Um, it'll get better. And uh, no matter how good a cook you are at home, you can't beat the restaurant operator for, for, for great quality food. No, you cannot. And what we'll do is we'll share the links 
for your website and also uh, your LinkedIn page in the description of this episode. So remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm-hmm.